0: From WHQR Public Media, this is The Newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we'll be talking to the two Republican candidates for North Carolina's 7th Congressional District. That's longtime incumbent Congressman David Rouser and challenger Max Southworth Beckwith. The 7th District covers a large part of southeastern North Carolina, From 2003 to 2013, it included Bladen, Brunswick, Columbus, Cumberland, Duplin, New Hanover, Pender, Robeson, and Sampson Counties. But just recently, the North Carolina Supreme Court approved a new map that removed Duplin and Sampson Counties and part of Cumberland. Previously on the newsroom, we interviewed all four Democratic candidates in the primary election, and one of them will go on to face the winner of the GOP primary. Okay, first up, Max Southworth Beckwith is the challenger max thanks for being with us i appreciate you having me so first off tell us a little bit about yourself and
1: why you wanted to get into this race so a little about myself so i'm a long generations of marines i followed in so i'm actually a eighth generation marine which surprises people i feel bad going talking the events when people are like i'm a fourth generation army or i'm a fifth generation because that's really long and I always feel bad. Like I'm stepping on someone's toes whenever I come up and say, well, I'm an eighth generation Marine. Uh, so, but I was a combat engineer. So I was a counter IED demolitions, uh, expert in, uh, Afghanistan did two combat tours. Um, if you ever see movies where there's guys walking in the desert in a, you know, in a squad and that point man in the beginning with the metal detector, that was me. So, uh, got out of the Marine Corps. In 13, came back to the Wilmington area, because I got family in uh, Curry Beach in Wilmington, and uh, started a small business. Uh, I was going to school full-time online at American Military University, uh, and I, while working 60 hours with my company and doing 24-credit semester accelerated courses, uh, I went from 14, using my last $400 to start my company, to closing out in 19, $1.3 million never taking a loan. Um, and a lot of that work was uh, h- insurance for Florence, Matthew, but also a lot of historical homes. And because I didn't take any loans, I was able to uh, do jobs at a higher profit margin, but then I would also transfer and take a lower percentage uh, when I would go and help lower income individuals. And specifically, I don't realize the historic home, a lot of the historic homes in the district are owned by minority families. And for our insurance here in, in a North Carolina, the NCJUA, to get a like as replacement for, if a tree falls to the roof, you get your roof replaced. You have to have a updated mechanical electrical plumbing in a roof more no than 15 years. Almost well, those homes don't even have central AC. <laughs> so I would go in and do repairs and try to update their house to where they could afford to, to get that policy so that they weren't sitting around with two years with a tarp on their roof waiting for, uh, waiting to save up enough money to pay for it out of pocket. Uh, then I went from there in 19, I did federal contracting. The pre-construction estimating side doing a lot of uh, military infrastructure packages nationally, internationally. In charge of like the three hundred million dollar max IDIQs stuff like that. So I'm very familiar with the governmental bureaucratic red tape of everything. Um, right before I, I joined that that company, I uh, had finished my degree in political science, specializing in constitutional law, international laws of warfare, with another degree in history, specializing in Middle Eastern studies. So I. I like to just like say I'm the, I'm the educated redneck. <laughs> Give it a little a little spur to myself. Um, and then I've done, Our I, I, last job I had before uh, running was I was part of the NC Rebuild program, which we would help. Um, the government, the, the, the state took away the rights from FEMA because they were just horrible with distribution of funds after Florence and Matthew. So the state took it over, ran it through the HUD, and then it was a bid grant uh, position for GCs. And I worked for a bigger GC doing this. Um, and we would go in, people who had lost their homes uh, because of natural disasters. We'd either remodel their house if it was a nice, sturdy house that we didn't have to demo, or we would demo a house and build them a new one. And it was predominantly minority and in, in low income individuals. Um, but it also took the nastiest house on the block and made it one of the nicer ones. So it increased everybody else's property value. So it was a win win in my book. So that's my background. Um, I joined into this race after I saw the, I like to call it the debacle the in Afghanistan, mm. in which we, 13 soldiers and warriors died and left $81 billion of hardware. As a Marine, if I left my rifle adrift, I mean, anybody who's been in the military knows that that's just a big no-no and you're going to get really, really badly uh, NJP'd or potentially Leavenworth time. Uh, So I find it ironic that no one's being held accountable for losing $81 billion of hardware. Uh, So I jumped in the race because the Marine and me kicked me into gear and and it was like, all right, we're going to go do the most damage. Cause I'm not an establishment type. I'm blue collar working class guy. I represent probably the bottom 95% of this district of people who are the blood, sweat and backbone of this district, farmers, construction workers, all those people. So I looked at all the races and I saw an incumbent who was going on his fifth term, but he hadn't had a primary challenger since 2016. So he was essentially going on almost six years. Without a primary challenger, and I'm a small businessman. I'm a capitalist. Competition breeds betterment, so I put my money where the mouth is and ran against him, and uh, and it's going good now. Um, but I also I don't one of the caveats that I had for running was I didn't I did I did not want to be part of the problem, so I decided not to take special interest or lobbyist money. Um, so I'm one hundred percent grassroots, pretty much self funding with small donations, uh, and we're making headway. And uh, and yeah, that's why I ran. So yeah, let's let's talk about the primaries. Um, as opposed
0: to your Democratic uh, counterparts, who have to sort out who will move on to the general election first, you've got to face David Rouser in the primary. Uh, as you pointed out, Rouser is a well-funded establishment uh, congressman. So you know, how do you take that on?
1: Yeah. So uh, the it's funny because a lot of other primaries, there's multiple candidates. It's only me and Rouser. There is no split vote. And I looked at his voting record, and I have his entire voting record on my website, which is max4congress.net. You can go look at it. Um, and it's, he, he touts himself as a staunch conservative, Second Amendment, pro-life, pro-veterans, but yet he's consistently voted against those ethos and conservative values. Uh, he voted for the red flag laws in the NDAA that just passed last year. Um, and for people who aren't familiar with red flag laws, those are the... Uh
0: the ability of a local sheriff, for example, to come and confiscate firearms if there's a mental health issue?
1: So that's what it's touted as. But in reality, what it is, is you could have a spurred lover who calls anonymously, says she says you're a threat to, to yourself or your neighbors. And that's it's anonymous. And they come in and with without a due process, they come take your firearms and you have to prove that you're not a threat, that you're not going to hurt anybody, which is not what our judicial system is about. The The burden of proof, lies with the prosecution, not with the defense, which is the entire reason why it's just, one, it's unconstitutional. And secondly, it goes against the entire judicial system because you're setting yourself for a very bad precedence of being able to, well, we can do it for guns. What else can we do it for? Fair enough. So what are some of the other issues um, with Razor where you sort of have a
0: a different point of view?
1: So he just recently, are you familiar with the uh, burn pit bill that's in Congress? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Veterans and combat veterans, and those who have become those who stood up and are 1% of the 1% that actually signed on the bottom line, and gave a blank check to Uncle Sam, and they're suffering because of the things we did in Afghanistan as a government and, and all the way back to Vietnam with Ancient Orange and black, white, all that stuff. The government has been complacent in their promises to the veteran community for about 60, 70 years. what this bill would do is it would actually get the funding to the VA and get it to where people who are suffering from the burn pit illnesses, suffering from extremely rare cases of cancer that they don't have any family history of, would help get the people who have been denied previously from the Vietnam era of of Agent Orange to get them to be able to claim that benefit and get the benefits that come with that. Um, Congressman Rouser voted against it. He says he's for veterans, but he voted against veterans. And in my opinion, veterans... If there's one group in society that deserves to have what was promised to them, it's those who went and fought and served, and it's not an R or D issue, in my opinion. And his logic and reasoning for it was that he said it cost too much. Well, he didn't have that issue when he voted for uh, $1.3 trillion of small killing business stimulus packages. Uh, he didn't have that issue when he voted for $81 billion Obamacare slush fund with the House Bill 1370 in the 115th Congress, which went to a plethora of other socialist uh programs, which included funding Planned Parenthood. So he says he's a pro-lifer, but he funded Planned Parenthood, voted for it. So there's a couple of things that are contrary to his, uh, to his messaging. And his messaging hasn't been able to get out. I'm the only one that's been able to say it because he hasn't had a primary challenger to hold his feet to the fire since 2016. And unfortunately, he's refused to debate me. He's refused to do interviews. He, he won't do it because he knows that everything I've stated is true Put it this way. If, if I, my stuff has been on my website since September of last year. If anything I said was untrue, don't you think he would have slapped me with a cease and desist by now?
0: Uh, I will say here for the record that we are, are still working on getting Rouser to come in here and talk to us, but it's been slow going. Good luck with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, here, another question I wanted to ask you about is the unaffiliated vote. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very purple region. It's almost perfectly split in New Hanover County between Democratic, unaffiliated, and GOP
1: voters, not just the county, the district is predominantly unaffiliated independent voters. Exactly.
0: Uh, so, and they can actually weigh in on the primary election. Mm-hmm. I think something that not a lot of unaffiliated voters
1: realize. We are a semi-closed primary, which means if you're unaffiliated, you can choose which ballot to vote in.
0: Correct. The primary. So, for unaffiliated voters, you know, who could choose either you or Rouser if they wanted to vote on the GOP ticket. What do you have to offer people who are sort of in that,
1: you know, undecided middle area? So the big thing for me is our government is, agree or disagree, on both sides of the aisle, there's way too much special interest in corruption. I think we can all generally just look at everything and just see it. Um, That's one reason I don't take special interest or lobbyist money. So when I'm elected, I don't owe anybody no favors going to Congress, except for the people who put me in office, which is the great people of this district. Um, One of the things that I am is I actually. Have legislative that I have a summary of on my website called the Corrupt Politicians and Bureaucrat Accountability Act.
0: I was going to ask you about this because this is interesting.
1: Yeah. So what it does is Section One or uh, Article One, Section Six of the Articles of the Constitution protect um, legislators from being sued for voting. That's the legislative clause. Uh, And what my bill would do is it would actually not remove that because that is important to keep what it would do is it would actually add a a civil and potentially criminal component to congressmen who have been bought and paid for violated their their oath oath of office violated their their house ethics or, or, or senate ethics it essentially would allow for their constituents to hold them accountable outside of just voting for them and what my bill would do is it would require, once it gets up and running, it's going to take a little while to get up and running, but once it's up and running, it would be a quarterly audit of all uh, information, telephone, emails, Um, it would just, whatever is encompassed in that could be accessed by uh, the uh, freedom of information, it would go into an audit, and if there's a red flag on the play, it would require a special prosecution, which would be held on retainer by, there'd be two, two groups of this, one in the Senate, one in the House. And... It's not a year-long investigation. It's three months. You have two degrees of separation from your core investigation, so you're not getting off into the weeds. And if there's something that's found viable, then if it's something that's civil, like they violate their House ethics or whatnot, they could be censored by the Congress, and the people could have a a recourse to remove them from office. And if it's a criminal component, like Eric Swalwell sleeping with a Chinese spy, Fing Fing, and giving away government secrets... That's a criminal, component. that's a, that's a violation of the National uh, Emergency Clause. And, and and it's a danger to have him. If anybody else outside of Congress had done what he did, they wouldn't have a security clearance and they potentially be in jail. If I was in the military, if anybody in the intel in the, in the military did that, that's what would happen. But he still has a security clearance. and He still sits on one of the most powerful committees. And just a quick editorial interjection here. Uh, the Eric Swalwell
0: story is a complicated one. Swalwell has denied wrongdoing. And noted that the initial report about his relationship with Fang Fang did not accuse him of wrongdoing. He has been mum about whether or not there actually was a sexual relationship, but he has denied um, sharing state secrets. So
1: that's for the record. My, my My bill would allow for if there's a criminal component allowed, once the investigation is over, he would be put in cuffs, taken to Capitol Police... You get your bond hearing and everything like that, but once the paperwork is filed, it would force a special recall election in your district.
0: i got to ask, what do you think the odds of the current population of Congress voting in favor of this are?
1: As it stands, very little. Um, But there are about 200 veterans that are of the like-mind policy that I have, and ideologue that I have, on both sides of the aisle, that are running nationally. We're all for term limits. We all want to hold fiscal accountability, stop spending all of our money. We, I think earmarked next uh, this year is $58 billion to go overseas for humanitarian aid to 180-plus countries, the majority of which doesn't benefit us in any shape or form, which in a good era, fine, but we are got $32 trillion of debt we can't pay back, $100 tr- trillion and plus with unpaid liabilities and assets, or $100 billion with unpaid liabilities and assets and we have infrastructure we need done. We have homeless vets on the streets. It's, it's money that we could use here. We could use it on the native reses. There's reses that don't even have running water or working sewer. We could do actual proper infrastructure packages. We could, I don't know, amend or use some of that money to help give you an idea. Give an idea. It's cheaper right now to adopt a child that's not an American if you go abroad than it is to adopt an American child. How much sense does that actually make? How about we use this money to actually help the American people get us out of debt, and then once we're back in the black and we actually have our people are actually being taken care of as they should be without raising taxes and without any doing this other crazy stuff because there's a lot of wasteful spending we could pull from to cover a lot of extra stuff, um, then we can look at helping other nations, developing nations and everything like that. But I'm not for forever wars. I'm not for putting our business and trying to turn a third-world country into an American subsect. we need to focus at home. It's kind of, I use the analogy, if your house is on fire, your neighbor's house is on fire, you're gonna put your house out first, and if you have the time, and you can save the neighbor's house, you're gonna put your neighbor's house out. You're not gonna put your neighbor's house out first, and then go back and try to save yours.
0: Uh, Anything else you would want
1: voters to know, what do you want people to keep in mind? I wanna keep people in mind to, one, look at candidates that have, on on either side, look at candidates who don't just say what they're gonna do once they get elected, look at people who have actually been in the community and actually helped helped out before ever even contemplating running for office like I did. I helped a lot of minority families. I helped a lot of veteran people uh, who were down on our luck. And I did that as a business owner because it's just the ethos and ethics of my business is if I can help someone, I'm gonna help someone. Um, it's, it's looking at candidates that have a, a unwaverable, Goals and what they're going to do. Their ethos is strong. Their ethics is strong. Their morality, their moral compass is is set, and they're not going to be bought and paid for and swayed by special interests and lobbyist groups. Because I'm also for term limits. I've already signed the U.S. term limits pledge. If we can get it passed, then it's three terms. If I win the primary, and we don't get it passed, but if I win, but I win the primary, I'm, I'll sign a sworn affidavit in front of anybody, saying, "Listen, I'm, we're going to pass this term limits bill, but if we can't, you only have me four terms." I'm not in it to get rich. I'm not in it to get, to get fame and to be a career politician. I will go into Congress. You can look at my house ethics. I will go into Congress as the poorest congressman, and I'll leave Congress as the poorest congressman because it's about doing what's right for the people, R, I, or D, and doing what's best for our veterans and doing what's best for Americans and North Carolinians. All right. Well, Max Southworth Beckwith is challenging David Rouser in the GOP primary
0: for North Carolina's 7th Congressional District. Max, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it very much. Alright, well we're gonna pause for just a moment and we'll be back with David Rouser, sitting congressman and incumbent in North Carolina's 7th Congressional District. You're listening to the newsroom from WHQR Public Media. I'm Ben Shockman, and with me now is David Rouser. He's the incumbent candidate for the Republican primary. For North Carolina's seventh congressional district, David. Thanks for being with us. Sure, and I'm glad to do it. To start, I just want to know if there's anything you want to say about you know this particular race.
2: Uh, of course, you know every cycle you have uh, uh, you have opponents, primary, general election. Uh, you know it's really not uh, not any different than any other uh, any other time around. Of course, uh, the district is slightly different uh, with Robinson County and uh, Cumberland County included. And uh, but the country, I think uh, faces some pretty significant challenges uh, as we move forward in terms of inflation, in terms of the energy crisis, uh, the border security uh, crisis that we have. And uh, I think we're going to have, uh, you know, a couple years of pretty uh, pretty tough economics letting as well on top of all this, not to mention that which is going, Taking place, uh, you know, overseas as it relates to Russia and, and Ukraine, and and then of course uh, China and Taiwan, and and of course uh, Iran is always uh, a threat as well.
0: Yeah, it's a complicated geopolitical time, to say the very least. Uh, I do want to ask you to sort of get started. Um, it's been a while since you've faced a primary challenger. I think I think it was 2014 with Woody White.
2: Yeah, I had I had a primary challenger announced in the 2016 cycle and one announced in the 2018 cycle, but neither one ended up uh, being on the ballot for for a variety of reasons. Uh, so I think that's correct. Uh, this will probably be the first time I've had one that actually made it to the ballot. Yeah. And white in 2014.
0: Yeah. Uh, have you had a chance to debate uh, Max Southworth Beckwith or, or sort of have any interaction with him on on sort of the policy front?
2: I You know, I saw him on uh, Saturday at the seventh uh, district convention And uh, there are a lot of things that people assume um, that, uh, uh, you know, when they dive into the issues, they find out things are a little different than what they thought. And uh, I think that's the case with Max. So if you go through and you look at his uh, qualms with me, uh, when you dissect them, uh, a lot of it's based on, you know, misinformation or misunderstanding about a subject. And, uh, yeah, I think he got a little bit of taste of that on on Saturday.
0: Yeah. If, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask about two of those that he brought up that I think probably resonate with our listeners. One would be or at least some of our listeners. Uh, one would be the red flag issue. Uh, I know this has been there's been federal legislation. There's also been local legislation. Can you say I mean, his his critique was that you basically passed legislation that would allow that.
2: Yeah, now this is something that we discussed on, on Saturday and I brought up, uh, and, and one of the key, uh, uh, key examples, I think, of how uh, things are far more uh, complicated uh, in Washington than what uh, may uh, seem on the surface. In that particular case, the NDAA bill is an annual bill that we do that authorizes uh, funding for the military. Uh, I voted for the NDAA bill because it was a big plus up for the military, which is obviously very important for Camp Lejeune, uh, very important for Fort Bragg, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. Uh, North Carolina, after all, is a huge uh, military uh, state. Uh, There was a provision in there that dealt with uh, uh, military judges uh, uh, providing them the authorization to uh, confiscate firearms from uh, uh, some Uh, veteran, pardon me, not veterans, but um, uh, military members uh, that they uh, deemed appropriate. Now that was stripped in conference, uh, just like uh, we knew it would be. The Democrats often uh, put that provision in the NDAA bill. Uh, So the question for me is, am I going to vote against uh, what otherwise is an exceptional NDAA bill that's very, very good for North Carolina because of one provision that I know is going to get stripped in conference? You know, absolutely not. And in fact, uh, it was stripped in conference. We voted on the conference report. It did not include the red flag uh, provision. And those who received my emails, uh, they, uh, they were aware of what was taking place, uh, my email newsletters I'm referring to, because uh, I forecast all that in the newsletter. I said, hey, this is in there, but it's going to be stripped in conference. I voted for it because it's too important not to vote uh, for an NDAA bill. Plus, the other thing, too, is as a Republican, uh, Mike Rogers, who's the ranking member of the House Armed Services Committee, it's important to have a strong showing of votes uh, so that he maintains maximum leverage in negotiations uh, with the other party throughout the process. So that's the other aspect of it, too.
0: I think his other the other specific policy point he had, uh, and maybe you could speak this too was um, I believe it was H.R. 1370. This was a, a bill that he interpreted as providing additional funding for Planned Parenthood, which is obviously a touchy subject in our region.
2: Yeah. So uh, first of all, there is no uh, line item for Planned Parenthood in an appropriations bill. Planned Parenthood gets their funding uh, through Medicaid reimbursements. Uh, it also uh, gets some funding from Title X, but Title 10 is for contraception, it has nothing to do with abortion. In fact, it's against federal law for taxpayer dollars to be used for abortion, whether it's domestically or internationally. Uh, so again, I think it's just a little misunderstanding of what the real truth is. Sure. I did want to ask about- And, I'm, and, I'm, okay. and I might add too, uh, in this race I'm endorsed by National Right to Life. Uh, there's no way National Right to Life is gonna go endorse somebody uh, who is in favor of funding Planned Parenthood. That's Not gonna happen.
0: That is fair, yes. <laughs> um, so in, in bigger, broader terms, I think it's fair to say Max is casting you as like a beltway insider, um, an establishment politician, and the critique being that you are, because of that, part of big spending, big government, spending too much money, too much overreach. How do you respond to that?
2: Well, I've fought against all those things. Uh, The the real challenge we have as a country moving forward is 75% of the total federal budget is on autopilot. Uh, basically meaning it has no oversight from Congress whatsoever. That's what drives the debt. Uh, It's also referred to as entitlement spending or mandatory spending. Again, that's 75% of the total budget. Uh, The annual appropriations bills, all 12 of them uh, rolled in together, which is often referred to as an omnibus. Uh, That's what people hear at the end of the year when we're working on finalizing those bills. Uh, that's roughly 25 to 30 percent of the total uh, you know, federal budget. And and a lot of that, a uh, huge portion of that is funding for the military, U.S. Border Patrol, uh, Homeland Security, uh, you know, many other provisions, uh, you know, that are critically important as well. But if you wiped all that out, if you basically cut all that uh, discretionary spending, you're still not going to make a dent in the debt until you deal with the entitlement spending, the 75 percent. Uh, so that that is a real point of uh, education, I think, um, you know, for the voting public, uh, for for every citizen out there to understand, uh, so that uh, they understand why the deficits continue to grow and why the debt continu- c- continues to grow. And of course, if you have a major downturn in the economy, uh, like we did during COVID, uh, you're going to have that much less revenue coming into the treasury, and of course, that exacerbates the problem uh, in terms of deficits and, and debt. So uh, there are two main components there, uh, entitlement spending, and then uh, what's the status of the economy and how much money have you got coming in the uh, Treasury?
0: So I wanted to ask, moving forward, if you prevail in the primary election, which I think the betting odds are on, and head on to the general election, do you have any concerns about any of the potential Democratic challengers in terms yeah. of you know, maybe the unaffiliated vote or how that all shakes out?
2: You know, I really don't look at, uh, any race through that lens. I look at each race through, um, you know, what's important for the country. Uh, what are my positions uh, make sure I, I, articulate those well, or as well as I possibly can, uh, so that folks know where I stand on, on all the, ver- all the, all the various issues. And then the votes are, you know, cast however the votes are cast, uh, you know, whether I win or lose. So, uh, that's how I look at it. Now, obviously, um, uh, most of the time as a front runner you're going to be attacked by your opponent so if I'm a- attacked on a particular issue I will certainly uh, you know defend myself and fight back uh, but uh, all other things being equal I'm just going to go out and lay out what I think are the uh, uh, critical issues facing the country moving forward and and what I believe we should do to uh, to address those moving forward.
0: another thing I wanted to ask the last time we spoke was not too long after the January 6th insurrection, and you were articulating some of the concerns you had about election security, people's faith in election security. A year and a half later, where do you stand on that front? Well,
2: my position uh, in, in terms of uh, hindsight being 2020, uh, you know, if you want to look at it, at it from that perspective, is no different than it was then. I, I think... Uh, uh, I was um, on the on the right side of history, in, in terms of the concerns that we had, and and the objections that that uh, you know were voiced uh, because of those uh, concerns. Uh, now I do feel more comfortable uh, moving forward, in that uh, many of those states that were in question have uh, shored up uh, their election laws at the state level, and um, I know uh, that a lot of the um, uh, uh, state uh, party uh, officials, Republican party officials in those respective states are uh, planning and preparing uh, for future elections, uh, you know, to have the pre- prerequisite number of uh, um, uh, election observers and attorneys and and to be really uh, staffed up on that front to help uh, ensure the in- integrity of the vote. Uh, and I still think it would be very, very helpful if if we could have a photo ID. I think that would solve a lot of problems.
0: So, in terms of the 2020 election, I mean, your concerns about the actual legitimacy of that election have those been resolved? How do you feel about that?
2: Well, I accept that President Biden, you know, is the president of the United States. Um, I'm not, you know, trying to relitigate that in any way, and wasn't trying to relitigate it then. Uh, But the fact of the matter is uh, there were a number of changes that were made to election laws in in a uh, certain number of states uh, that were in question uh, that we felt, we being me and the others who objected and voiced those objections, uh, felt were outside the scope, were made outside the scope of the confines of of the uh, U.S. Constitution, where it specifically says that state legislatures uh, determine the laws, not uh, third parties, that are negotiating uh, settlement agreements because of a third party lawsuit. And uh, clearly the changes that were made, there's a certain amount of fraud in every election. Uh, And the changes that were made, uh, made fraud easier in in many cases in those respective states. So um, uh, that uh, that point, I don't think, uh, um, at least from my standpoint, uh, nothing has changed about that in terms of uh, my review of the whole uh, history of it.
0: All right, so we don't have time to ask you everything you would do in office over the next two years. There's just too much. But maybe if you return to D.C. for another term, what is one thing you would focus on that would impact southeastern North Carolina?
2: Well, you know, we've done a lot uh, in this region already in terms of uh, shoring up, and no pun intended. uh, The beach uh, renourishment efforts uh, for Carolina Beach, uh, Curie Beach, uh, Wrightsville Beach. We're continuing to work on uh, getting those on a glide path uh, in terms of reauthorization. and and funding for the future. Uh, A tremendous amount of work has been done there and will continue to be done. Uh, In fact, um, uh, it shouldn't be uh, uh, but a couple more years, and I think both beaches will be uh, set uh, well into the future uh, where folks aren't going to have to worry, well, are we going to have the funding for uh, sand renourishment uh, uh, or not? Uh, So we've made a tremendous amount of progress there. We continue to work on uh, flood mitigation uh, measures And uh, I I am uh, honored to serve and privileged to serve as a ranking member of the Water and Environment Subcommittee on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. uh, This Congress and uh, the Transportation Infrastructure Committee as well as the Agriculture Committee are the two two committees I sought uh, when I first got elected. I've continued to move up uh, the ranks there. And in my perch as ranking member of the Water and Environment uh, Subcommittee, Uh, We're going to be uh, marking up what they call a Water Resources Development Act a little later uh, this month, uh, the end of this month, and uh, we're going to include a pilot program in there uh, where we're going to have mapping of our rivers, creeks and streams and then also a federal state call share program uh, that will enable us to, uh, uh, to dredge uh, uh, these rivers, creeks and streams starting from uh, the coast, uh, moving back towards the west. So that the next time we have a major hurricane, major rainfall event, major storm of any type that has a lot of, of, has a lot of rainfall, precipitation, uh, that water will have somewhere to go rather than flooding people's homes. Uh, so that's just one uh, mitigation uh, component. Uh, there's uh, another bill that I've signed on to that uh, would s- substantially help the state in terms of uh, grants and, and uh, mitigation measures uh, uh, against flooding uh, you know, for the future. So uh, those are all issues that we've been working on the entire time. And of course, it's an enormous task, uh, uh, and it takes time uh, you know, to get this stuff achieved. Uh, Congress, after all, there are 435 members in the House, 100 members in the Senate. Uh, um, Congress as a body is designed to keep things from happening, not to, uh, not to expedite things. And, um, and of course, on the national front, uh, I think energy security is really important. Um, uh, this inflation issue, we've got to get our arms around that. Uh, a lot of that is uh, Fed responsibility, but uh, Congress didn't need to do any more harm. Uh, we don't need any more excess um, uh, spending that's not necessary. In fact, there's uh, billions of dollars that are out there in COVID relief uh, that have not been used that could be redirected. Uh, rather than authorizing and appropriating uh, new spending for, you know, whatever the issue may be. Um, And then, of course, uh, crime is huge. Uh, That's mostly a state and local issue, but I think it's very important uh, that we uh, stay strong and supportive of our law enforcement. And border security absolutely is a responsibility of the federal government. Uh, and it's absolutely true. If you don't have a secure border, you don't have a country. Uh, you know, we're all in favor of of, of immigration, uh, legal immigration, uh, but uh, we can't have uh, drug cartels uh, running the border like we do now, um, and they're making billions. Uh, the sex trafficking, uh, the drug trade—it's uh, the worst it's ever been right now, and we really uh, 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 need to get a handle on that. Of course, that's largely in the administration's ballpark. There's very little congress can do other than when we get the majority um, unit we can put riders on appropriations bills uh, to try to help force the administration's hand uh, but at least up to now they seem to have no regard for security of the border whatsoever
0: all right well david Rouser is the incumbent in the primary election for north carolina's seventh congressional district david Rouser, thanks for being with us today well great to be with you hope that
2: hope that was helpful for your listeners
0: all right, well, that's it for this edition of The Newsroom. My thanks to Max Southworth Beckwith and David Rouser, Republican candidates in the primary election for North Carolina's 7th Congressional District. As always, if you have thoughts or comments about this episode or ideas for a future show, email us at newsroom at whqr.org. And of course, we'll have all the information you need to vote in the primary election on the show page. I'm Ben Shockman, thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next edition of the newsroom.